Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. With us on live stream, we are still waiting for all of our groups to trickle in here this morning, but I'm going to get started, and we're going to, I'm going to tell you about some announcements um, that are important to, to us all. First of all, today is Maundy Thursday. Today is a day on the Christian calendar where we remember the night that Jesus um, shared communion with his disciples, where he washed their feet on the road, on the way to the cross, and so we have a special celebration um, an opportunity for you to to participate in a walk-through kind of self-paced um, event tonight here in this building at 6 o'clock. If you want to come back, we'll be open from 6 to 8. There'll be um, several stations. You'll get a little guide that'll help you walk through and, um, and think through, process, and reflect as we are approaching Easter this weekend, which brings me to my second um, announcement. We have some new service times this weekend for Easter that I want you to all be aware of. Um, this year, we will have a Saturday evening service at six o'clock if you'd like to, to join us for that. And then we will have a, an early sunrise service at 7 a.m. in the front parking lot, the visitor's um, parking lot um, by, the, by the main building. And then we will have our, our regular service times at 9 and 11. So four different opportunities this weekend as we celebrate Easter. Final announcement is that registration has opened for our Cultivate Retreat. That is happening May 1st. It's a one day only. It's at Summers Mill. It's from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. But a lot of that time in the afternoon will be free time uh, where you will be invited to, to, at your own pace, go through a silent retreat if you would like to, or you can just Um, use the afternoon to hang out with friends or go home and take a nap. But the sessions are happening in the morning, 9 to noon, and in the evening, 7 to 9. Bev DeSalvo is going to be sharing testimonies with us in those sessions, so really want to encourage you guys to come. The trouble is we are limited. We only have 100 spots, and at last count we had 35 left. So that means you need to get on there today. Uh, I put the I posted um, all kinds of places on Facebook and in emails, um, but if you go to our website under Women's Ministry, there's a calendar event. You click on it, and there's three different buttons in there to register. <laughs> so you should be able to find it. But do that today. Um, and if you if you miss it, join the wait list because every time I go pretty deep into the wait list, people sign up right away and then can't come. Um, we are also going to be recording um, recording the uh, the sessions, and so you'll have access to it if you can't come, but I really want to encourage you to come. It's going to be a really great day together. We'll be learning about the, the disciplines of lament in the morning and and praise in the evening. Those two are not really, um, can't really happen without the other, <laughs> but, um, but we'll be specifically focused on lament in the morning and praise in the evening. So, hope you can join us. Uh, let's all stand. We're still waiting on some people, some groups to get in here. But we're going to um, read our memory verse. This is the second week for this verse. And because we're combining and we combined two lessons this week and two next week, we'll only have one week for next week's verse. But let's read this one together from Mark 8, 38. 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So let's think on this. Um, I'm going to invite Rachel Dawson up on the stage with me. She's going to be speaking to us today. And um, let's just join together in prayer, and we'll pray for Rachel as well. Our Holy Father, we just praise your name. We glorify your name. We worship you together. We're so thankful that you are our Father and that you're a good, good Father. God, we, um, we just want to give you all glory and praise for what we have learned in our discussion groups this morning, what we have learned uh, in your word as we have personally been convicted. And God, we're looking forward to, to you speaking to us through Rachel as you have personally convicted her. And God, I just pray that you would help us to, to listen well, to cast aside all of the, the worries and concerns of the day that we bring into the room, that we would give her our full attention, but we would give you our full attention, ultimately, and that, that you would just use her powerfully, God, to, to speak to us um, personally and directly. We, um, we trust that you have something to teach us this morning, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys hear me? Am I on? Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Okay. Sounds good. All right. So I'm really glad that this time that I'm teaching, I can actually see you guys. Um, when I first t uh, taught the lesson, it was during the, uh, you know, COVID had become a little more significant in our area, so I wasn't actually able to uh, speak to you guys directly. At least I had Amy to look at during the whole time. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about discipleship as a calling worth the sacrifice. Um, so this, these are two lessons. So, you know, I had to really pray and ask the Lord as to how, you know, would he want me to cover this today. So let's just do a little overview of the lesson. So starting with the end of chapter 9, uh, which starts with the argument among the disciples about who is the greatest. And Jesus reminds the disciples that to be the greatest, they must be like a child, humble. Then we see John annoyed, right, that someone else is getting credit for work done. Um, in Jesus' name. And Jesus reminds him that this is perfectly fine. Whoever is for me isn't against me. And then Jesus teaches them to be mindful of anything that might cause them to sin. So where he talks about, um, you know, cutting off parts of your body if it causes you to sin, you know, figuratively speaking. And then next, next in chapter 10, we see James and John wanting to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in his glory. And Jesus reminds them that he came to serve and not be served and to give his life for many. And so finally, we see the rich young men's story that brings all of this together in chapter 10, reminding us to consider that what we value most. So I wanted to cover these four um, specific points today. Our focus will be on the rich young ruler, but I will touch on all of these. So starting with possessions. So first of all, the rich young ruler was rich, right? Had many possessions. And um, position to be the greatest as the disciples wanted to be. Is that what we are striving for? Or what are we looking for in terms of position? Power, to sit in a position of power next to Jesus as James and John wanted to do. Or our priority, priorities, how are we spending our time and energy? So I wanted us to keep these four things in mind. So positions, 
uh, excuse me, possessions, position, power, and priorities, and see what the Lord tells us about each one of these. So I'm going to start with this um, little video. Oh, man, what am I going to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember, a, remember computer paper when uh, it was all stuck together? and then had the holes on the side that you had to peel off. Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me, but, because uh, that was the best, you know? And, um, and it never worked right, because the rolling things, but, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor, and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room, and, uh, but I'm gonna use a rope now, because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that, and you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, th- what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me, because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. So I'm going to pause there at the video. Uh, so we can have enough time, but I wanted you to think about that. Like really think about what this little portion means to you. What are some of those possessions, position, power, and priorities that you need to rethink to make sure that that little part counts for eternity, right? So the reason I have this picture up here, these are my parents on the left-hand side of the screen, and the reason I have these older looking pictures from like, I don't know, the early 2000s or 1990s is because they have been a part of everything I've ever done and always helping. They were there at my children's birth. They were there when I was at my white coat ceremony for medical school. They were there when I deployed to Iraq. They were there for my children when I needed them and always came to every activity. And the point of that, all that is that my parents lived to serve And they started um, living this life from the moment they accepted Christ. So my dad was um, not a Christian. He grew up in an abusive home. His mom was his um, savior, really, um, until he wasn't a Christian. So he really um, had no um, desire to follow the Lord And until he became an adult and he was led to Christ. And his first wife died. He had seven children with his first wife. 
and she accepted Christ prior to dying, which was great. And then he married my mom, and I'm the first of that second marriage. So there are 10 of us children. And, you know, all that to say is that my mom and my dad both had power, position, possessions. They grew up. My dad was, became a successful executive in Brazil, traveling throughout South America. My mom was a lawyer. So think about a female lawyer in Brazil in the 1960s. That's not the norm. Um, and, but they gave it all up. And my mom gave it up when she married my dad because she now was the mom to seven children that she needed to care for. And my dad worked hard so that we could come to America, but they were always the prayer warriors. They were the people we could count on. Um, all the time growing up, I had cousins, friends, all kinds of people living with us. There was a point in my life where I had probably five people sleeping in my room uh, because we always had that connection of you know my parents serving others. So yeah, I wanted to use them as an illustration as we start talking about um, the possessions. We'll start there. So the rich young ruler was rich and had many possessions, and his question was, what must I do to be saved? So when Jesus asked this man to do what was not unfamiliar to Jesus himself, well, what Jesus asked was not unfamiliar to himself. He had already left it all behind, and he asked, can you give away your little all to follow me? And Jesus was not asking the man to do anything he hadn't already done. And this next section that I'm going to read to you, Amy tweaked it up a little bit for me, which I'm thankful because I really like the way she said this. So I'm going to read it as I um, wrote it uh, with Amy's tweaks. Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler who has given away the ultimate wealth to get to you. His grace poured out on this young man will cost Jesus everything. He will give his life as this young man's ransom. And Jesus is trying to teach him that to follow him will also cost this rich ruler everything, especially his tight grip on the things he holds most dear. Knowing that wealth was his idol, he says, now you need to give away your wealth um, to get me. So eternal life isn't something we work for. His question was, what must I do to be saved? He wanted to do something because he followed all the rules. He knew how to do that. Um, Christianity is a done religion with a done relationship, right? We have that at the moment of salvation. And eternal life isn't achieved. It is received as a free gift based on what Jesus has done. And God must be God in our lives. No one and nothing can stand between him and us. Um, and his wealth for this rich young ruler was his idol and his God. So my question to, it, to you is, what is your idol? So um, this little quote here from James Edwards says, a person who leads an exemplary life, who even endears himself to the Son of God, can still be an idolater. So I um, was reading this book, Radical, um, during a time in my life where I was struggling with pretty much idols, right? Everything in my life was an idol <laughs> to me, and I was putting too much emphasis on the things of this world. And um, my, one of my biggest idols at that time was my time. I didn't want to give that up for the sake of the kingdom of God. I also valued position by wanting to look good in the eyes of the world, by having that perfect little family so that the world could see how great I was raising my children, right? They're perfect little children and how great they turn out. I started to feel the pressure of living where the doctors live. I say that because I'm a physician and there's this sort of pressure of, of you know, the things that you have and what you look like on the outside. And having a great house, living in a great neighborhood, having a cool car, right? All the things that people 
in this long floor that are part of this world. I also valued power by wanting to get the next promotion, move up higher, whether it was in the, currently in the company I work for or even in the clinics as a pediatrician. And as I read this book, the Lord started to work on my heart about the things I was putting too much value in. Was I taking up his cross daily and following him? So again, my question is, you know, what does it mean to take up his cross daily? It, in, in the book, Radical, um, David Platt talks about the cross as being an instrument of torture and death and suffering, and it's something hard to do. So are we laying our lives daily before the Lord and willing to die to ourselves to be able to take up the, his cross and follow him? In Mark 10, 2, um, it says, it said, you lack one thing, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, and he cannot bring himself to part with them. And wealth was a sign of God's blessing in Judaism. It can pose a threat to faith. It can prevent us from doing the one thing Jesus asked, which is putting Christ first in our affection. He loves his money more than he loves Jesus. And here Jesus was not condemning wealth or con uh, commending poverty. Wealth breeds confidence in oneself, and it has an addictive personality in many cases. It can become life's priority, and the things of God go by the wayside. So the call to discipleship is a call to radical trust and commitment to Jesus. He challenges all of us to put away anything that is an obstacle to our following him. You cannot love your wealth supremely and love Jesus supremely. So what do we love more than Jesus? What are we willing to give up for Jesus? And we, you know, we all have something, you know, so what, what is yours? And it's an excellent life question to consider. Any sacrifice we make is nothing compared to its return, both now and in the life to come. So as I continue to think about this, you know, this could be lots of good things in life, right? Whether it's your family, your spouse, your career, those are all good things. But are those replacing Jesus, and are you willing to give any of those up if he asks you to? So looking at position, um, the disciples wanted to be the greatest, right? So to be the greatest as the disciples wanted to be, is that what we want? So as I was reading through Journey to the Cross by Paul David Tripp, there was a, uh, through this Lent season, there was this little pride quiz that he wanted us to take. And here are some of the questions that I'd like you to consider today. One being, am I upset if I'm not praised for my work? I know I do get upset sometimes for not being praised for my work. Do I like and even long to sit at the head table in the seat of honor? Do I seek credit for what others have done? Do honorary titles pump me up? Is popularity crucial to my sense of self-worth? Am I a name dropper of those I know or pretend to know? And do I think I have something valuable to say about almost everything? So think through those questions and see if this fits your life in any way and ask the Lord to change your heart. In Proverbs 11:12, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And James 4, 6 says, But he give, gives more grace. That for, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
And the thought of God opposing me because I'm proud is really scary to me. And it's definitely not something I want in my life. So when you look at power, the requ- this is the request of James and John. They want a place of honor, right? And the world sees leadership as dominance, authority, effective uses of power and position. And Jesus says, you must be a servant and a slave um, of all. So a little bit different, right, than what we think of as power. And continue on with that concept of power, um, it brought me to Bartimaeus, a model of discipleship. Um, so Jesus asked him the same question, actually, that he asked James and John. And they asked for the best seats in the house. But what does Bartimaeus ask? He wants to see. He's asking for just ordinary health. And um, he began to follow him on the road. He will go and do whatever Jesus asks of him with gospel gratitude, which inspires us to follow at any and all costs. And the one who has so freely dispensed his grace, that's who we are to follow. And that's exactly how uh, what Martimus does, instead of doing what James and John did, which was asking for the best seats so they could maybe be, have a good position or power, he asks for health and then he follows him on the road. So then we look at priorities. Um, how are we spending our time and energy being served or serving as Jesus did? So, you know, looking back into my own life, I was mentioning how I was going through that time where I was very focused on the things of this world and not how those impact eternity. Um, And I could, and I realized as I was doing the book Radical that I could actually easily give up my stuff, material things, that wasn't the thing that was really getting a hold of me. My possessions um, wasn't the issue. Soon the Lord took any desire away for a dream house or a dream car. My husband and I actually moved to a smaller house. We got rid of a lot of stuff. So that was actually not the step of faith I needed to take necessarily. Um, you know, we started, we did start putting our money in the things and people with eternal value rather than the things of this world. And we started to take things off our schedules to free up time to be open to the Lord's calling and leading. Because as I mentioned before, my time was extremely valuable to me, and I didn't want to give that up. I had every minute of the day scheduled. My husband used to, you know, make fun of me all the time about how if it's on the schedule, (laughs) it can't come off the schedule. Because really, I was just, there was one thing after another. And this came from having deployed to Iraq in 2011 and feeling like I had left my children for eight months. And now I had to make up for that. So in 2012, 2013, I was just... One thing after another, my kids were doing soccer and swimming and baseball and basketball. And I mean, everything you can imagine on the face of the earth. Because not only were we, was I trying to measure up to a certain standard and look a certain way to the people around me, I also was feeling some guilt over the fact that I had not been there for eight months. And um, we usually say that the reason we're putting our kids into all these things, right, it's because we want to give them that opportunity maybe we didn't have. But what is the real reason, really, behind why we do those things? Is it because really we want to give our kids that extra opportunity, and for what reason? So are you asking why before you put the thing on the schedule? Why are you going to do, you know, 10 things per week, take your kids all over the place, or yourself, um, when you haven't thought through the why behind it. Is there an eternal value to that? Is there some, you know, why do we want our kids to get all A's in school and go to college and have a successful career and we put them into tutoring and all these other things? Um, Is that 
because that's more important, what they do here on this earth? Are we considering maybe allowing our children to do some service activity within the church? Maybe they can serve in the nursery when they're old enough. Maybe they can go with you to a homeless shelter and serve the poor. Could they do some of those other things that actually will have some internal value? And those are the things that I was struggling with at the time because I certainly didn't have time for the things of God with all of these activities that I had planned for my kids. And, you know, I further uh, wrote here on my notes that I, st I still held on to everything else. So I was giving up all my stuff, right? But then I was still holding on to everything else. It has taken much longer to hold my time with open hands to the Lord and to give up the idea of the image I want to portray for others to see. And I'm still tempted to go outside of God's will and take on that next promotion, even at the cost of my family time. So even recently, so this is how, how uh, recent this is, I had the opportunity to sign up for a clinical research course, which I did. And I did it like without even thinking. I just signed up because I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my boss and he's like, this would be great for you. I think you really should do this. And now I have the next eight months <laughs> worth of activities that are extra on my schedule. So I'm telling you, this is a process. And... Um, you know, in Iraq, I had read the book uh, Desiring God and When I Don't Desire God by John Piper, which was really eye-opening when it comes to all of these issues. Um, am I loving God supremely above all else? And I just have been going, that's the question I keep asking myself a lot. Is this, is this what my goal is? Is this what I'm doing with every activity that I do? And I still fail, you know, pretty often. Here I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of my siblings. So I told you there are 10 of us. So it's hard to get all 10 of us in one place at once. So that's why you see three pictures because I wanted to make sure all of them were included in here. Um, and the, the one with the crazy hair in the front on the right is lives in France. So that's why we don't get to see him as much. The one behind my sister with the curly hair is in Brazil. So we are all over the place, Arkansas, Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, all over the place. And we're all here in America um, now since my parents brought us here over the years with the exception of the two that went back to France and Brazil. But the reason I show you this is because my siblings, I had great examples. I'm, I'm number eight of the 10. So I was the first of the second marriage. But, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you wouldn't know that we, <clears throat> excuse me, that we were, had different moms because we were just uh, really connected, the 10 of us. And my older 10 siblings really um, were examples to us little ones, number eight, nine, and 10. So my siblings, for example, my two sisters on the left picture that are on the left-hand side adopted, one adopted four children, three from Brazil, one from China, after having her own two children. And the reason she took all three kids from Brazil was because she didn't want to split them up, although, it was a struggle for her. She still served the Lord by bringing these children here. And my sister Maddie next to her adopted two girls from Ethiopia after having six children of her own. My brother Alex um, behind me um, and my brother Daniel, the other one behind me that look almost identical, they, um, one, Alex has, always has people in his house that he's caring for, him and his wife. So right now they have a single mom with a baby that they're caring for not to mention their own children and grandchildren. Uh, my brother Daniel was a missionary in Brazil uh, for five years, and he is now a pastor of a church after giving up a six-figure job that he could have had. Um, 
and that's just what my, my siblings have done based on the example they saw from my parents. And my oldest sister, her husband is a pastor and they minister constantly to everyone in need in their church in Arkansas. So you can see the legacy that they've left with the 10 of us. And to think of having 10 children who actually, for the most part, get along and who love the Lord and are serving the Lord, I think this is a testament to what God can do in a family where my dad was in an abusive relationship, my mom grew up in a non-Christian home, a nominal Catholic who was also a spiritualist, and what he did after they accepted Christ. And they really surrendered to Christ and gave us the example that I have here in my siblings as well. Um, so here, I wanted to share, discipleship is a calling worth the sacrifice. God is more important than eyes, hands, and feet, as we learned. And nothing, not even physical life itself, should stand in the way of eternal life because the choice is eternal life or eternal death. So remember that little rope illustration. Are we working really hard on that little chunk of the rope or are we working on the whole um, of eternity? And God has appointed believers to be a source of redemption, preservation, purification, and hope in a world left to itself that would go bad. Believers should be known for their exemplary lifestyles and consistent kindness, inviting love and peace. And a, a lukewarm disciple is marked by behavior, behavior that conforms to this world. And Jesus appeals, appeals to radical life-changing discipleship. So the gospel frees us, frees us from the addiction to ourselves. Um, and we follow, as you can see here at the end, uh, a Messiah, an anointed one, a shoot from the stem of Jesse, a son of David, a king would come. And the son of man would come, and, who did not co and he did not come to, to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So I'm going to end with a video that I want you to see, and then we can uh, pray after the video, um, called The Balance Meme, also by Francis Chan. I really like his videos. Are we going to just live the safe life or the radical discipleship life. So as you watch here, think through this. Off the team, whatever, you know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay, that was nuts, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that, let me, uh, let me hold on, and this is your routine, this is what so many people do, they go, you know what, I'm not going to try anything crazy, I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on, and uh, this is what you look like, <laughs> you just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, 
you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what, I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it, and then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go, Now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. up there on that video, but I just want you to think about that, right? Are we living that life where we're holding on to the balance beam so tightly and to all of those things that we hold dear to us here on earth without thinking about the consequences of eternity? And think about that, not only in your own life, but those of you with children, what are you doing that with your children to let them see that eternity is more important than the activities, than the college degree they get, and that serving the Lord and being available to him for what he has in store. It doesn't mean everybody's going to go on a mission trip. It doesn't mean you're going to be called to China or wherever it is that the Lord. It's whatever the Lord has for you and being open to that. And for me, it wasn't necessarily giving up my possessions, right? Like that wasn't a struggle for me. For me, it was everything else, right? My position and the power and, the, and everything else that I held dear to me and important that I still am struggling with, even as of two weeks ago. So keep that in mind and just ensure that you are praying through this and that the Lord is who you're trying to serve and think of eternity. So I'll pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and the opportunity we've had to spend time in your word today and to share and to learn. And I just ask that we will take this seriously and think about serving the Lord um, in a way that is not necessarily, may not be safe. It may not be um, easy. It is about picking up the cross and following you and um, potentially suffering. And all of this will come along with serving you. But in light of eternity, this is a really short time we have here on this earth to serve you and to be used by you. And I just ask that we will consider that as we um, finish out this week. In your name I pray. Amen.